This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about fighters we would have to reconsider in rematches from fights that they lost badly the first time. You're going to want to hear this. Plus, COVID is just spreading all over America. What does it mean for your holiday weekend? Could you be actually canceled in MMA? I'm not so sure. And we will dig into the mailbag. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays right here at 1 p.m. East Coast time on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. And don't forget about that mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right, happy Wednesday to you. Can you believe it already? It is, it is the freaking 1st of July. Golly, man. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I don't know. It feels like, uh, on the one hand, it feels like 2020 has been dragging. And then there are days where you just wake up and you're like, it's the 1st of July? Seriously? Good Lord, we're in the second half of the year. I don't know. I suppose everyone's clock internally will be different in that regard, but there's just a part of me that, phew, man, when you get older, the years just fly by. They don't feel like they did when you were a teenager. Trust me. All right. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. I have to sneeze here. Excuse me, I have no mute button on this device, so you have to hear all of that. Let me kick off the show this way if I can. So for my other job, I do a show and then I do like a like a, a, a ancillary program to that show, almost another program where I break down coaches film. Yeah. Like you guys, I had watched Poirier versus Hooker with a smile on my face, with reverence. We had Mike Brown on the show yesterday. Um, By the way, Cobb, did you see that Dan Hooker spoke to Submission Radio from his quarantined hotel in, uh, I'm not sure if it's in Auckland, but certainly in New Zealand. Did you see the, uh, what he said? I did not yet, no. Okay, we'll have to get the audio of that. He's already talking about fighting Ferguson in like three months. I'm not exaggerating. That dude is a maniac. He is a complete and total. If you would have told me he didn't want to fight the rest of the year, I'd believe you. I think he wants two more this year. Is he insane? He might be very clear. Yeah, very clearly insane. And he always has been. He's the one who said that, like he wasn't that out of the Edson Barboza fight. Like the man's a maniac and it's probably why he's as good as he is. Yeah, maybe so. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow. You got to hear this audio. He's 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 a wild man. But here's the point. Hooker performed quite ably, especially early in the fight with Poirier. But I wanted to see, like, why did Poirier win? And I'll have the video out later today. I really encourage you to watch it because I've not heard anyone talk about this. Here is why Poirier won, and this will get me into my larger topic. Whenever you have a righty versus a lefty, orthodox versus southpaw, right, so that they are standing almost like mirrors in front of each other. They both have the same lead hand closest to each other. They both have the same power hand furthest away. Think about it, right? If I'm left-handed, I'm going to stand with my right hand forward and my left hand back. If you are right-handed, you're going to stand with your left hand forward and your right hand back. Let's say we face off. That means my right and your left, we can almost just touch right there, right? Because we're very close to each other. When you do that, the traditional rules of striking tell you that what you want is lead foot dominance. 
That means they want you to get your foot on the outside, your lead foot on the outside of the other guy. Why would you want to do that? Because when you do that, it removes your head from the center line. So if they strike, you can slip off line. But also, it creates a lane for your power hand. Conversely, if you have the inside space, let's say they have lead foot dominance, that doesn't mean you don't have any options. It just means your jab is going to be more important because it's going to have a shorter distance to the target. So if your foot is on the inside, your lead foot is on the inside of theirs, you, you traditionally go for the jab. If yours is on the outside, you throw the straight. Okay? Those are the traditional rules of striking. Here is what Dustin Poirier did, among many other things. I'm, like, I'm not even talking about the guillotines and the arm bars and everything else. He did two really important things in this fight. Number one, he broke all those rules. He would have inside foot position, and he would throw the rear hand punch. He would have outside foot position, and he would jab over the top of Hooker's arm. That must be very confusing for an opponent because he's breaking all the traditional rules. And Hooker was always looking for lead outside foot dominance to create a lane for his right hand. Okay? So he's looking for it. Poirier's willingly giving it up. So he confused him like this. But the reason why it worked, because remember, traditional rules is not supposed to work, is because of his timing. Dustin Poirier does not have Zab Judah speed. But, buddy, he's got some of the best timing in the business. He was constantly splitting Hooker's timing. Hooker is very rhythmic in how he walks. So Dustin Poirier would wait until the left foot, left foot, excuse me, of Hooker was planted. That's his lead foot. That is the lead foot of Hooker. Because he knew that as soon as he did that, that right foot, the, the um, excuse me, the, 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 yes, the right foot of Hooker, the back foot, is going to be in motion pretty quickly. So what he did was he broke all the rules of striking, whether he had inside foot or outside foot. Usually it was inside foot. He would wait until Hooker planted his lead foot, and he would shoot his left cross all the way across and catch him constantly. Go back and watch this fight. How many times did Hooker get cracked with a left out of nowhere from Dustin Poirier, or seemingly, I should say, out of nowhere. That is why. Because the timing was impeccable, and he was throwing it from an angle and a way that I don't think Hooker really anticipated. So he was constantly being tricked, constantly being interrupted, constantly having to deal with that. And that pushed him backwards, by the way. When Hooker would get hit with these big punches, obviously he would go backwards. Poirier would swarm. He would throw other shots behind it. Now, understand, Poirier did a lot more than that, but those were the key ingredients. Why do I bring this up? Because here is our topic to start today's show. Phone lines are going to be open at 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. This is why I bring it up, because I don't know if Connor fought Poirier that Poirier would win. I don't, I don't know that. In fact, there's probably a good reason to believe that maybe he wouldn't. But I have a very hard time believing that the second fight between those two men at this stage in their careers looks like the first. I got a very hard time believing that. 
Poirier was a bit of a slow starter in this fight. He didn't come out of the gates firing. In fact, Hooker did. And maybe that would be his undoing against Connor, who is just dialed in from the word go. Maybe so. But you can't tell me that those fights, if they fought 10 more times, would look like the first one. In fact, I think Poirier would probably take a couple. Maybe more than that. So here is my question for you to start the day. What is a fight or a fighter in your mind? Where they had a loss, and the loss wasn't just a loss, it was a bad loss. But time has since passed. And now if you took those same two fighters, you'd know the second fight between them would not look like the first. Somebody you wrote off and said, ah, you know, all right, well, one guy's clearly better than the other. Now if they made that fight, you'd be like, uh... I don't know. Or maybe you think that the person who lost the last time now wins outright the second time. People meet at certain points of their career, especially early, and you never know exactly which way they're headed. Here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Jeremy Stevens absolutely crushed Rafael Dos Anjos the first time they fought, knocked him out. Who wants to bet Dos Anjos takes that the second time? I'll take that bet. I'll take that bet times 10. He got viciously KO'd the first time they fought. How would they do now? Not a doubt in my mind, Dos Anjos takes that. Not a doubt. Now, I'm not saying Poirier and McGregor is that way, but I don't think it looks anything like the first one. And I think Poirier has a real chance to beat him. We are talking about fighters who have made improvements, but in the following way. Who fits the bill in terms of what I am talking about? I put out a question to this effect on Twitter, and I got a million good answers. So here was one that I, I think just is a totally emblematic of what I'm talking about. Dos Anjos fought Jeremy Stevens. God, how long ago was this now? Long time ago. And uh, Rafael Dos Anjos got viciously KO'd in that fight. It was like this leaning uppercut. It's incredible, right? Um, this was the year was, good Lord, that was his UFC debut, by the way, 2008. 12 years later, who wins that fight? I've got, I've got all the house money on. They're just in different positions now at this point in their career. Here was another good one, Cobb, that folks gave to me. How about Lima versus Askren? That's a very different fight this time around. Last yeah, time, like that Askren, yeah, Askren got the takedown as much as he needed it and rode top control. And Lima had a good guard, but he really had nothing for him. Boy, I bet he's got something for him today. Even without him being retired, I mean, if he was still actively competing, I think Lima would tear him up. It wouldn't be the same. Is there one that stands out to you, Cobb? Well, the one I always wanted back, I don't know if I'd want to see it now, but I had always wanted to see Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz, too. Just with, with the improvements Robbie Lawler had made, you know, en route to a title. And even Nick Diaz was a very different fighter than he was that first time. I always thought that one would be really good. And I was curious to see how Robbie Lawler would do the second time around. Well, you could do a lot of those with Lawler, like Lawler Shields, you know, because Lawler had this moment in the middle of his career where he seemed a little apathetic and he probably dropped some fights that he shouldn't have. Uh, and then early on, he was trying to figure things out and he kind of dropped some fights that maybe he shouldn't have that I think would be different this time around. Obviously, Evan Tanner's not around anymore, but you know he, he was not really his best. Here's some other good ones, Kyle. Let's see what you think about these. I'm just going to read some of these out to you. What do you think? 
Uh, by the way, a lot of McGregor Poirier's and a lot of McGregor Holloway. You think McGregor Holloway's different a second time? It, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Max Holloway has shown he's a very different fighter from when they first fought. How about this? Francis versus Stipe. We may get that one. <laughs> we just may get that one. So, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, how about this one? Tyron Woodley versus Robbie Lawler. Ooh, you know, I don't know on that one. I don't know if it would be drastically different. I mean, we got, I'll say he was facing one of the best versions. I mean, he'd been through a bunch of wars, but he was facing one of the best versions of Robbie Lawler. Here's the thing. To me, that was the beginning of Robbie's decline. And that was the, that was, I want to say the peak of the abilities of uh, Woodley, but that was near his peak. And now it's pretty clear that both guys are on the other side of theirs. So I, I suspect it will be different. Here's some other ones that folks have said. Tony Ferguson versus Michael Johnson. Before the Gaethje fight, that was Tony Ferguson's last loss. There's not a doubt in my mind Tony Ferguson tools him if they fought again. Um, let's see. Aldo McGregor. I don't think McGregor can make 145, but, you know, there's that. Here's one that I keep seeing as well. Aljamain Sterling versus Marlon Marais. I wonder about that one, too. That might be kind of interesting. That's yeah, that would definitely one. be very interesting. You know what? I just thought of another one. Uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Gaethje Alvarez 2. Gaethje Alvarez 2, yeah. And Gaethje, honestly, Gaethje Poirier 2. True. <laughs> I think both of those would be pretty different. Uh, I, I honestly think that, um, again, that doesn't mean the other person, the same person who won the first time doesn't win the second time. It just means that the fights don't look the same. Like there clearly has been a time passed where the guy who lost is significantly better. Uh, let's see. Oh, by the way, someone put Holloway versus Volkanovski. No, I don't think that's going to look all that different. The second. I mean, I could be wrong. We never really know, but I tend to think that won't look the same. Um, here are some other ones. Lawler versus Askren. Yeah, that probably looks a little bit different the second time around. Uh, GSP Hendricks. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if they fought today? Jesus Christ. I put all the money on GSP. Wow. Um, Connor versus Duffy probably is a little bit different. Duffy beat him back on the regional scene. I suspect that will be different. Uh, let's see. Here's some other good ones. Again, tons of Poirier McGregor. Uh, Stipe Struve. Stefan Struve knocked out Stipe Miocic back in their early UFC runs, if you can believe that. Here's another one, Cobb, that we're going to get, not this weekend, but the following. How about Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade? Like, the first time, it went one way, and then all of a sudden, block. Do I think it'll look like that? Well, that's actually, that's a weird one, right? Because that was a tale of two fights. It was Rose Namajunas absolutely dominating her right up until she got slammed on her head. Do I think it'll look like that the second time? Well, I'm not so sure about the slam, but I am pretty sure about the stick and move. Would that qualify, Cobb? I'm not sure if that qualifies or not. Yeah, I don't know. For me, that, that fight was always a question of could Rose just out-slick Andrade long enough before Andrade could just unleash the power she has? And she was doing a great job of it until yeah. she didn't, and then that changed the fight. That might look the same, actually. I have to think about that one. How about this one, Cobb? Here's a great one. Yair Rodriguez versus Frankie Edgar. Uh, you know, I don't know if that fight looks different, to be perfectly honest. I bet it does. I bet it does. I'm not saying Frankie can't so? wrestle him. Yeah, I'm not saying Frankie can't wrestle him, especially if it's five rounds, right? Because we saw Stevens kind of put it on him and then Yair kind of mm -hmm. fade. Uh, but I don't think it's like, dude, he got just demolished in that fight. I don't think he gets demolished. Uh, here's some other ones. Tony Gaethje. 
Again, we should have been over that one. <laughs> it's hilarious. John Jones, Matt Hamill. I mean, technically, Matt Hamill won the first time, right? That's hilarious. Uh, Edwards versus Usman. Um, I don't know. To your point, Cobb, here's a great one. Silva versus Weidman three. That's another one where, like, does it look like the first two? I don't think that it does. I bet it looks pretty different. Try to see if there's other ones that we haven't. Uh, a couple of uh, votes for Cyborg versus Nunez. I still think Nunez wins that, but maybe not in 50 seconds. So could be a little bit different. Uh, let's see. Mike Tyson versus Buster Douglas. Fair enough. Someone wrote every Kevin Lee fight. <laughs> Poor Kevin Lee. <laughs> That's just uh, mean. <laughs> it's a little bit mean. Yeah, he's talented. He's just got to get his stuff together. Bader versus Jones, really? Y'all think that looks different? I don't think that looks different. TJ versus Henry. That's interesting. Man, I really wonder how TJ is going to look when he gets back. That is going to be a, you know, because really it's going to tell us the truth about his use. Because he was like, oh, it was one time. Okay, all right, maybe so. We'll see. But if he's fallen off of a cliff after two years of basically rehab and no injuries, hmm. That's going to be a little bit bad for him. Uh, something to think about. I would love to see some of these be made if they can make them. This week on World of Basketball, four-time EuroLeague champion Kyle Hines joins the show and talks thoughtfully about the racial injustice in America. It's great to see the change. It's something that is much needed. I think because of everything that has kind of going on in 2020 and because of the, the coronavirus, where a lot of people are kind of sitting at home and are able to kind of pay attention more. And because there's no sports, you know, people are, are able to kind of focus their attention on some one thing. To see, you know, Champions League football, you know, where Black Lives Matter, to see protests in, in, in Asia and in, in Australia, to me, that's kind of been the, the most remarkable Thing. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. If you guys are not paying attention to some of the numbers, I've not paid attention to what's been in Florida, although I see that it's going up continuously there. But if you guys didn't see this, yesterday there were more positive tests in Texas than there was at any point in the entire country of Italy at the height of their outbreak. I want you to I, just just noodle that for a second. And how many people live in Italy? Let's see. Population of Italy. All right. So the population of Italy is 60 million. The population of Texas is 29 million. So they have half the population of Italy, and they had the uh, higher number in one day uh, than any single day total Italy ever had during the course of their outbreak. If you have not looked around at what is happening at the rest of the world. It is an embarrassment in terms of what is happening here. France had, I think, 58 cases total yesterday. Something incredibly minor, right? Uh, Italy had, you know, 30, 40 cases yesterday. France, uh, excuse me, I already mentioned France. Uh, uh, Germany all but eliminated it. Austria is only requiring uh, masks on transit. They don't even need them anymore in malls and shopping centers. I hope everybody understands that what is happening here, as long as this virus keeps doing what it's doing, we can't have normal lives. And you can say whatever you want about people should just reopen. They're not going to. And even if they did, people are not going to feel safe to come outside. It's not going to work.
You just have to listen. You have to. Or we can just keep doing this, where people are out of work for three months, which appears now to have been a waste of our time because we, we couldn't keep the cases down. They go back to work, thank God, and now they're going to lose it all again because people aren't paying attention. I don't, I don't know what people need to uh, like hear about this. Do we all want to get back to normal? I think if I ask that question to you and to everyone on this show listening and all of you people out there in radio land, I think all the hands go up. Okay, so let's ask a question. How do we get there? You can say what you want about this being a hoax. You can say what you want about, well, the government should just open up. You can say whatever you want about all that stuff. It's not going to work until the numbers come down. All, and I do mean all, of our peer nations have solved this problem. Do you know how many people have died of COVID-19 in Rwanda? In 1994, Rwanda had a genocide where a million people were killed. This is a place that has been overrun with infectious disease from time immemorial. They got out in front of this like, hello, normal people do, to the point where they only had two people die in their entire country. You know what the population of Rwanda is? The population of Rwanda is 12 million people. They've had two deaths. This is not a very rich place, by the way. I want everyone to know that. Rwanda has done a better job than we have. Rwanda. Could you find Rwanda on a map if your life depended on it? I'm guessing most of us couldn't. Fellas, ladies, July 4th weekend is coming up, and I'm not telling you you can't set off some sparklers or crack open the grill, or there might not be, there may be safe ways to have a limited social circle, maybe just family, I don't know. But if we don't do the work that is required to get back to normal, normal will never arrive. It won't happen. And we will keep living like this and won't enjoy anything normal until we do. And people being like, oh, we're close to herd immunity. We're not. We're, we're years from herd immunity. So you want to ride that train? It's going to be a long and painful one. Fourth of July weekend is coming up. Please limit your exposure to other people. And if you have to be around them and they're not family that you know and trust, for God's sake, just put on a mask when you're at the effing grocery store. Will you please? No one wants to do it. No one thinks we look cool. I would like for the NBA season when it starts to complete. And I'll tell you why. You don't even have to be a basketball fan. It would just be proof that we can control this stuff enough to have a normal functioning society. That's all that that means. Because if we don't do that, basketball is not going to be here. Football is not going to be here. And if it gets bad enough in Nevada, we're going to lose MMA too. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. It doesn't serve anybody's interest. Doesn't serve mine. Doesn't serve yours. Doesn't serve Sirius XMs. Doesn't serve UFCs. Doesn't serve the fighters. Who wins in a situation like that? Nobody wins. 
Dude, they are back to something very approximating normal in all of our peer nations. Why aren't we? Because we aren't doing the work necessary. It is, you cannot trust our leaders in government. I don't care what party they are. They all have failed. You want to get back to normal. It is incumbent upon you this holiday weekend, especially, but every holiday weekend, to not F around. You have to do your part, and I promise you, I will do mine. Formula One Racing on Sirius XM. Precision, performance, and speed. The F1 Series opens Sunday. It's the Austrian Grand Prix. Pre-race coverage starts at 8 a.m. Eastern. Then go live to the track at 9 Eastern for turn-by-turn racing action, followed by a complete post-race recap. Hear it on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 or at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. Cobb and I, we are not fans. I mean, who is really? Well, I guess some people are, but Cobb and I are not fans of uh, cancel culture, right? What is cancel culture? I'm not sure what the formal definition is, but it is something approximating the quick, uh, rapid desire uh, to get people to either lose their jobs in some ways be ostracized from society for perceived sometimes real infractions related to the uh, stress and distress caused to aggrieved communities. So let me give you an example. Uh, if you, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example that maybe you don't have any sympathy for this person, but let's say, you get caught on tape just calling black folks the N-word left and right. You know, the mobs are going to come for your job if you have a job on television. They're going to say this person should be canceled. Uh, but it can get from situations where they're really serious, where someone could have committed, you know, let's just say very credible allegations of sexual assault in a way Bill Cosby got canceled, although he also got prosecuted, so that's a little bit different. But it could also be stuff that's really frivolous, you know, a tweet when someone was 14 that was, you know, maybe off color and kind of dumb, but should someone's livelihood be taken away for it? Should someone just be ostracized from society? And so people are on all sides of the debate about cancel culture and whether it's good or it's bad or it's real or it's not. I would tend to say that it is real to varying degrees. I tend to think that it's, um, you know, there probably should be some consequences in society for having odious views, but they probably go a little too far at times. And that's where the debate comes into play. Okay, here's the deal, though. Whatever one's view of cancel culture, something has to be cancelable in order for cancel, cancel, cancel culture to work. Right? So if you have a job playing, you're an actor, you play a superhero on, let's say, CBS, and you do the whole Riley Cooper bit where you'll fight every N-word in here, and the video of that comes out, you know, there's a lot of ways for people who want you to lose your job to put pressure on the network to do so. The bad press they could generate, they could call sponsors to say pull sponsors from the show, you know, I mean, there's lots of ways they could affect you. How do you do that in MMA when nobody cares? So let me give you an example. Cobb and I were looking at this. Henzo Gracie made news this week because at first he went after Gina Carano for posting a what I call semi-racy picture on Instagram. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
but then later on, he got into some hot water because he quoted uh, Heinrich Himmler. Now, that name should be somewhat familiar to you. Heinrich Himmler, that sounds like a German name. Is that one of the Nazis? Yes, as a matter of fact, it was. He, in fact, was one of the most powerful men in Nazi Germany and is widely credited with being the main architect of the Holocaust. Um, yeah, that's him. Heinrich Himmler. Uh, bad person is a, is, a good, is a good way to describe him. Uh, he founded the SS, uh, the Schutzstaffel. Um, he was a leader in Hitler's Nazi party. And, you know, this is the guy that got around to figuring out a way to exterminate Jews. Not a great person is a very euphemistic way to describe him. So Henzo Gracie quotes on Twitter, Heinrich Himmler, excuse me, Himmler. And what he writes is, quote, my honor is my loyalty. Now, I'm not even sure what the hell that's supposed to mean. But apparently Henzo likes the quote because people brought it to his attention and they were like, dude, you're quoting uh, not just a Nazi. <laughs> you're quoting the main architect of the Holocaust. You might want to take this down. And he just sort of doubled down on all of this over and over and over and over again. In fact, they looked this up. He has quoted this three different times in history on Twitter. And every time, because he doesn't just put my honor is my loyalty, like it's a quote, and then he doesn't attribute it. He literally writes the words like, quote, my honor is my loyalty, period, end quote, and then writes Heinrich Himmler below it. He, he attributes the quote. He's done this several times. And every time he does this, uh, people are like, dude, you're quoting a Nazi. Maybe delete it. And every time he's like, oh, I didn't know. My bad. And then just doesn't delete it. And this time he did it. Uh, let's see. I forget how long ago. I don't know. Um, recently. And refused to delete it. It was just like, yeah, I didn't even know who that was. It's no big deal. You know, and then insulted everyone. Who brought it up, which I was thinking about this. I was like, dude, if you did this in any other line of work aside from MMA, you, I mean, I couldn't tell you how fast you'd lose your job. So just, let's, let's just imagine a scenario here. Let's say Hensel Gracie is what? A former competitor turned coach, something of a pioneer as well. He's a, a, a proprietor. What would be a good example of, I mean, there's no real direct analogy, but he would be something like, I don't know, Cobb, something like a, um, this isn't quite right either. Uh, I was going to say Doc Rivers, but that's not quite right. Is, is there a decent comparison for him inside sports? Something he's kind comparing? of like? Henzo. Hmm. Is there a way? I mean, because he's so different. I mean, the pioneering thing you can leave alone, but like, you know, former competitor turned coach slash well-known figure adored in the, in the sport. Something like that. Steve Kerr? He's <laughs> completely different than Steve Kerr, but okay. I'll use I don't shot. know. I'm, I'm trying to take a shot here of like guys who transitioned to coaching. This is like the, this is something like the coach of 
It's not quite like this, but this is something like the coach of the Warriors quoting Himmler on social media, then when being told about it, insults everyone who tells him about it and refuses to delete it. Dude, the Warriors couldn't fire Steve Kerr fast enough. You couldn't fire him fast enough. And in MMA, it's barely on the radar. Now, let me say something in defense of MMA, which is I and Cobb both agree that there are absolutely parts to cancel culture that have gone on and gone way too far, where people are losing their jobs for honest mistakes that they made years ago that they shouldn't, right? Or they're having to atone for things that they didn't really mean to say in the way that it came across, and it goes a little too far. I think that you can honestly say it's probably a better world where people aren't quoting Hitler and Heimler, but it's also, you know, you need to be careful about some of the excesses of that movement as well. But the problem inside MMA is it goes all the way to the other side. Where it doesn't, I, I, honestly, here's the question for you, and the phone lines are open at 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. What does it take to get canceled inside MMA? Not just UFC, but MMA. Because to be honest with you, the answer is virtually nothing. The only person, Cobb, that I can think of who has been canceled inside MMA, and to be honest, part of the reason why he's canceled is because he's not actually able to do anything other than what he's doing, is War Machine. But I have to tell you, if he was let out from jail and wanted a fight, I don't think it'd be that hard for him to get one. Certainly not uh, in, in, in Eastern European shores, and probably in you know, pandemic notwithstanding, probably not inside uh, the United States either. He is the only one I can think of that is so widely reviled for what he did, which, by the way, he had to commit a crime to do it. Uh, several crimes, of course, and heinous ones at that. He's the only one I can think of who's been canceled. Can you think of anyone else who's been canceled in MMA? Mainly just one, and ironically for something he tweeted, and that's Miguel Torres, who got cut from the UFC. I forget what his particular tweet was, but I think he was actually just quoting a joke from the show Workaholics, and I think he was cut the next day. It was like a joke about like a rape ban or something like that. That's what it was, and I think Dana cut him the next day. That's the last person I can really remember ever getting in trouble for what they said. So hold on. Let me tell you what the Miguel Torres joke was. Uh... Okay, Miguel Torres tweeted, if a rape van was called a surprise van, more women wouldn't mind going in rides for them. <laughs> wow, that's a real bad joke. Uh, okay, so that was December 2011. Here's the difference with that. That was when they had the, and they still do, but that was when the UFC enforced the um, code of conduct. They don't enforce it anymore. I mean, they, they used, they've one time fined Nate Diaz for using the six-letter F word for, for gay folks. It, you know, dude, like Mike Perry called Darren Till that last week. And, by the way, has, you know, widely used the N-word. And the only people who ever say anything about it are MMA media because nobody else cares. And, Cobb, Miguel Torres got released from the UFC but he didn't get canceled from MMA entirely. Oh, you know who I can think also got kind of canceled? 
Do you remember that clothing brand Holzer Reich? It was like they had they had ties to like neo Nazis back in the day. <laughs> Do you remember that? Vaguely, I, I vaguely remember them. Yeah, this was back in the days of like you know any MMA sponsor like Bang Your Mom was a sponsor and like you know uh, you know Fight Your Uncle with Brass Knuckles clothing was a sponsor. Anyway, there was one called Holzer Reich. And they had all of this like neo-Nazi imagery, which if you're not like steeped in that kind of a thing, you don't know. I mean, if ever, most people can identify the SS symbol, but they have there's a whole like network of symbols that they use. Anyway, they had a bunch of them. And then the owners were like, no, we don't we don't mean anything Nazi related. And then it turns out they have like all of this other neo-Nazi imagery tattooed on themselves. It's like, OK, guys, fair enough. Anyway, they got kind of canceled. But that was back around this time as well when people were kind of attuned to these things. What about today in 2020? What do you have to do, excuse me, inside MMA to get canceled? And I'm not talking about what, um, no one wants someone to get canceled in any line of work for frivolous things. But I want you to think about like good, good times when someone who was a really odious, awful person in some other line of work got canceled. And what that reason was for. And then ask yourself if that could ever happen in MMA. I honestly don't think that it would. Literally, Cobb, this is another one. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan was arrested and charged with rape. Now, here's my point about this. He was eventually exonerated. I think he's fighting in July at Fight Island. You might say that's a good thing. Fair enough. Because uh, he beat the charges. Any other team would have released him. Not a doubt in my mind. Now, probably some other team would have picked him up when he was exonerated. And you could say that's part of the unfair process. Fine, whatever. I'm simply saying anything even approximating what looks like normalcy in another league is completely absent inside MMA. Live golf on the PGA Tour rolls on this week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Nate Lashley is the Rocket Mortgage Classic winner. Get ready for the action on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio with analysis from the likes of David Marr, Pat Perez, and Brad Faxon. Try to take the situation and put that out of your mind. Live coverage of the Rocket Mortgage Classic starts Thursday at noon Eastern. Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, Sirius 208 XM 92, or search PGA Tour Radio on your Sirius XM app. Mail time. Mail time. Oh, Mail here. Have a question about MMA, sports, entertainment, or life in general? If people just came to me for the answers, the world would be a better place. Email Luke at LukeThomasShow at gmail.com and get the answers to all those burning questions during the Luke Thomas Show Midweek Mailbag. All right, we do it every Wednesday. We do it by virtue of your participation. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. It is your chance to steer the show, the TLTS Midweek Mailbag. This is where you get to say what we talk about. It can be about MMA or not, it can be about booze or not, favorite movies or not. Really, it is your, it's your segment, gang. Luke Thomas show at gmail.com. All right, Cobb. Without further ado, let's get this party started, please. Mail, motherfucker. This comes from Kirk, who's got a little bit of a criticism on our Mount Rushmore we put together. It's right. more mine than yours. But uh, he says, if you put Connor, a guy who never defended his belt, on your Mount Rushmore, 
It's automatic dismissal. For him, his is GSP, Rousey, Jones, and Nunez. Does he say why Connor's not allowed to go on there? I guess mainly just because he never defended his belt. Either belts, really. Yeah, I know, but I mean, (sighs) these people. It's like, does he go on mine? I don't know if he goes on mine, but we're talking about a theoretical construct of an idea that doesn't even mean anything. Like who's on your Mount Rushmore? What the, what does that even mean? Who's on your list of top four fighters who were really good, but also maybe really popular, but also maybe kind of pioneering, but also kind of memorable. It doesn't, it's just, it's really, it's just a popularity contest to a degree, or, you know, it's, it's so subjective as to be, it just tells you about a person's preferences versus any kind of grander revelation of the truth. So maybe Cobb, he's mad at your preferences that you would even that you would even consider McGregor worthy of broader consideration. I guess that's his claim. But that's a pretty silly claim. It's it's funny to me, and I, and I very much specified. I forget what my final four was, but for me, it was the people who were both had a very good career and also helped change the sport into what it is. And I don't think you can argue that for better or worse, without the contributions of McGregor, I don't know if we're on ESPN. I don't I don't know if MMA is is getting this big shine without him or how much longer it would have taken had he not come along. So that was one of the reasons why he was absolutely a transcendent character in this sport and still is for that matter, even not fighting. That's how crazy it is. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Can you tell the story of modern MMA without let's pick somebody Dos Anjos? Yes, you could. Can you tell the story of modern MMA the way it is today without McGregor? I don't think that you can not, not, not truthfully and not fully. You can sort of beat around the bush a little bit, but you would be missing a pretty key ingredient. Um, there's not many fighters you can say that about. Think of all the things he affected: fighter pay, the way they promote, the way the way fights are, the way fights in general are promoted. Like he changed the game in so many different ways. Some for the good, some for the for the worse. But his lasting legacy will be on the sport for a very long time. And I also would say this: like people don't want to give Connor credit, and I don't give him sole credit for this. But I do believe Connor is part of the modern move towards better MMA striking. And I think it's people like him that helped push it along. Now, there are many other ones who did that alongside of him, and in some better and some worse. But is he part of the reason why MMA striking is better than it's ever been? Yes, he is. And I think you have to acknowledge that. That, wouldn't, that by itself wouldn't put him on Mount Rushmore, but it's something worth sort of acknowledging. Okay, next. Message. All right, this comes from D. Sanders, who says, uh, hey, Luke, do you think it would be a good idea for the UFC to start filming a tough season during this pandemic? Fighters will be isolated with no outside contact, and it could be broadcasted on ESPN. I am not a fan of tough anymore, but was curious what your thoughts were on this idea. Yeah, I, I have thought that this made a lot of sense for UFC, which isn't to say that I am like dying for it. But you got to just imagine, like, we'll talk about this in the next segment. I, I don't know how much sports are going to be around this year, folks. I really don't know. This is why I keep telling you guys to wear your masks. It's like, dude, even if you don't want to do it, and to be candid, who among us does, except people who constantly get complaints from others about their bad breath? Short of those people, none of us really want to wear these stupid masks. But you just got to ask yourself a question. It's like, dude, what kind of society do you want to have in terms of what's open and available to you and what's not? What kind of normalcy do you wish to have? And to be honest with you, 
if you're ESPN, you have to ask yourself a question. It's like, okay, we have basketball rights, we have football rights, and you know various other properties, Major League Soccer, whatever. How many of these are even going to have a season at, in any version, uh, and how many are not? And even if you have an NBA season, is it going to be able to finish itself? Like, are you going to be able to do that without interruption from beginning to end, given how this virus is exploding across significant parts of the country. Um, you know, I don't know. So here's what tough offers, although they may not be immune from this either, because hello, you should pay attention to the fact that all the headlines are about Florida and Texas and Arizona. And we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the, the cases are going up in Nevada too. Now, not nearly as bad. And maybe, you know, the mask ordinance there will help. I don't know exactly what level of compliance there is, but you know, the reason why tough might work is if the UFC can avoid the mistakes that some of these other uh, leagues are making. And again, I think the, you know, the NBA's task is just beyond difficult relative to what UFC has to do. But if you're the ESPN, you have to ask yourself, wait a second, let's think about this here. What happens if the NBA starts and that they can't finish their season and then there's no American football? We're going to need as much original programming as possible. So let's assume for a second, you already know the, the cast is going to be quarantined. You would have to quarantine the production team as well, right? So let's assume you could do that as well and safely, you know? That means you would have 12 weeks of unique content plus a live finale uh, related to those 12 weeks of content that you could bank around and then a fight ultimately between the coaches that you could then promote. I got to tell you, if you're ESPN, that's a pretty attractive proposition. Plus, dude, they're putting on these garbage, garbage top rank cards. Uh, they're pulling 300,000 plus. Can the Ultimate Fighter match or beat that? Maybe, probably. And that's better numbers than they were doing on FS1. ESPN is a higher rated channel than FS1, but FS1 is a higher rated channel than ESPN2. So just putting on ESPN2, I mean, maybe even then ESPN might want it given the craziness of this world. But if I'm ESPN and I'm thinking about this, I'm saying to myself, you know what? We might want that. Plus, dude, there is no regional MMA. Someone has to kickstart this process. And they're going to have contender series and that's going to be part of it. And they're going to have some of this other stuff and that's going to be part of it. Dude, like, that's a real problem. So there are a lot of attractive reasons. Do I personally care to watch it? No, I don't give a damn. Do I understand why it might be attractive to some other folks? You bet I do. All right, next. Answer my question! All right, this comes from Zach, who says, Hey, Luke, uh, on your show, as well as Morning Combat, you mentioned how Mickey Gall had been rushed into the UFC quicker than you believe he should have. Hmm. What solution would you propose for fighters in that situation? given the rarity and difficulty of getting into the UFC. New coaching, put in the ultimate fighter. Does an athlete request to be let go to develop their skills? Uh, my second question has to do with how you watch fights. Do you ever rewind to rewatch a sequence in the middle of a fight, or do you wait until the full one is over and then just go back through to analyze? Yeah, so let's start with the first one here, Mickey Gall. There was an opinion piece written on Bloody Elbow, uh, I think yesterday, and they called... They said CM Punk was the worst thing to happen to Mickey Gall. Now, that might sound kind of strange, considering Mickey Gall completely crushed and dominated him and got a name built off of it. 
as a consequence. Uh, and I did not read the piece, but I'm guessing what the piece argues is, sure, that might have been true, but then he got fast-tracked into the UFC, and now he's here with, I think, something like nine or so fights, and he's just not really ready for this level of competition, and there's no one else for him to really fight at this point. Um, I didn't think he looked bad against Perry in the first round, but I would generally agree with the sentiment. I mean, look, let me pull up his record so I don't speak completely out of turn, if I can. Uh, Mickey Gall here. Uh, so Mickey currently stands at uh, 28 years old, so he's the same age as Mike Perry. But he's six and three. I thought he was seven and two. He's six and three. He's got losses to Perry, Diego Sanchez, and Randy Brown. I mean, that puts him in, I would argue, maybe the lowest tier of available welterweights. And he's got something of a name, but that has kind of faded a little bit as well, given some of the up and down. So his second pro fight was in the UFC against Mike Jackson. His third pro fight was against CM Punk, and his fourth was Sage Northcutt. And all of those were great, but then everything just kind of came a little bit undone, or at a bare minimum, it's been uneven. Look, it's really hard to tell somebody on the regional scene, especially now when there is no regional scene, not much of one anyway. It's very difficult to tell them to just put off going to the UFC out of concern for, um, you know, well, you, you, you you can make money in three years and just, you'll be poor as hell for three years fighting for, you know, small, small paychecks. That's a really easy thing for someone else to tell them, but they're going to be like, well, no, I don't want to do that. And I understand that I, you got to make money. I mean, rents due today, right? It's not due three years from now, uh, but it'll probably also be due then as well. Here's my point. I don't know what the solution is, except here's my only warning. My only warning is if you go to the UFC this early, unless you are John Jones, you are not going to maximize in all likelihood your potential because you're getting way too tough a fight way too early. And you need the slow kind of development possible under the regional scene where the challenges are still, if you're very good, you can handle them, but they get incrementally much better uh, in terms of getting you better without getting way too hard, way too quickly. And that's sort of where he's at now. He's just taking on fighters who are, I mean, he fought Diego Sanchez in his, uh, let's see, he was five and one. He had six fights when he fought Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez um, has been, uh, Diego Sanchez is, what? how old is he? He's 30, 38, okay? So Diego Sanchez has been in the UFC so if uh, Mickey Gall is 28, that means 20 years ago, uh, excuse me, that means 10 years ago, he graduated high school. Okay, so 10 years ago. 10 years ago, Diego Sanchez uh, fought Paulo Tiago and Martin Campman. You know, and those were his uh, 27th fight, not including stuff on the Ultimate Fighter. You know, so 30 pro fights. I mean, it's just, you know, what are you doing, man? You could say Diego Sanchez has passed it. Okay, fine, he might be. Technically, he's won three of his last four, although it should be two and two. But it's just not the right fight. It's not the right fight. It's not the right development. And, you know, we also what happened with uh, Max Roshkoff and Austin Hubbard. I mean, it's they're two different tales of the same kind of situation, which is that if you have a lot of ability, you rush into the UFC. Once you're there, you, you want to stay there because the only, there's two ways out of the UFC. One, you age out, and that's a great career. Or two, you get cut. And that's not a way you want to get out. doesn't mean you can't get back in, but it's not, it's not ideal. So if you're going to go there, plan to have a sustained campaign. 
And Austin Hubbard didn't go until he had, I think, 12 fights and a couple of losses along the way. But he's faced very good competition. He kind of knows what he's up against here at this point. Uh, easier said than done, I grant. But you got to know what you're in for. Uh, well, the second one was how I watch fights. Uh, very quickly, in general, I do not go back and look at things. Um, in general, what I do is I wait till the fights are over. And then I watch them with these tools that I have that enable me to break things down frame by frame because I can't see things very clearly in real time, just candidly. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can spot them, but a lot of times I just get to details that I otherwise would not be able to spot were it not for being able to slow things down and going over them again. So I need the tools to do that. Um, good fighters can spot things instantly. You know, I'm nowhere even close to that level. So I, I, I need to, I need to take my time with it. Next message. Well, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier when we were talking about rematches, but this comes from Jason from Tacoma, who says, Hey, Luke, Poirier looked amazing in his last fight this past weekend. Gaethje looked incredible against Ferguson. If they ran back Poirier Gaethje, who do you give the edge? Do you think the more calculated Justin Gaethje 2.0 could get the W this time? Um, man, what do you think, Cobb? What are you on this one? Because I'm of the belief that like, Here's the problem. I I have I personally admire Poirier. I mean, I admire both guys, but I really kind of admire as a person Dustin Poirier. So I don't know if I'm as good of a judge of his abilities as I should be. Where are you on this? Ver is Dustin Gaethje yeah. 2.0 for quite some time now. Um, I, if you believe at the beginning of the year, I said my big prediction was that Justin Gaethje would be your undisputed champ by the end of it. We're on path to that to be correct. So given that, I think a Justin Gaethje taking less damage is even more dangerous than he was beforehand. And even the guy beforehand was one of the most dangerous dudes in the in, in MMA. That was an absolute war the first time around. I think a smarter Gaethje, I give him the edge. Wow. I hate to doubt Dustin Poirier, but I, wow. I, I, I am a big time believer in Justin Gaethje 2.0. Here's the one thing missing from the Ferguson fight, which I think you would agree with. It wasn't two-way enough for me to know if Gaethje resorts to his old ways when things go bad because it just went good for him. Uh, here's the problem with all of the fights he's had. He clearly, to your point, is 2.0. I would agree with that. I don't know who could possibly disagree with that at this point. On the other hand, the one thing we still haven't seen is what does he, what does he resort to if someone is sticking it to him? Does he go back to his old ways? And the answer is maybe not. But the answer could just be maybe. And the thing about Dustin is Dustin's going to be there in his face. That's the part I wonder. That's really the thing I can't figure out. What is your sense about what, what would happen if someone like Poirier really sticks it to him in a round? Does he go back to what he was? Maybe a little bit, but I also trust that if like, let's say we get to the end of the round, Trevor Whitman gets him back in line. We've sit, we, we played the audio from that. That's true. Tony That's Ferguson true. Fight. Yeah. Whitman does a very good job of getting him to refocus and he listens to everything Whitman says. So I think he's doing that a bit more these days. I kind of wonder if that might be the difference, um, but it's possible, man. I mean, sometimes it's <laughs> when you're in the thick of it, it's kind of hard not to go back to your old habits. We're going to see. That's the one thing that we haven't seen. Cause when he beat Vic, you didn't see it. When he beat Barboza, you didn't see it. When he beat Cerrone, you didn't see it. And he fought Tony for five rounds and Tony uppercutted him. And of course that was at the end of the round. So we didn't get we didn't get to see exactly what would have happened right after that. But yeah, we didn't get a chance to see it. So it's going to be interesting to note. Uh, let me take one quick phone call on this, Cobb, and then we'll call it a day on the. Is there anything else in the mailbag we need to get to? Anything else uh, of like super great importance? 
Let me give you one more quick question here. Let's see what you think of this. Okay. Since we talked All about right. Darrell Miller this week, okay. uh, this comes from Victor, who says, "If Miller's boxing career ends, what are the chances we see him in MMA or the UFC? We have seen Stranger Things, mm-hmm. Greg Hardy, CM Punk, and James Tony." I mean, here's the thing: if Matchroom Boxing and Top Rank bounce the guy, I don't see any way UFC picks him up. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't go to kickboxing, where the drug testing is, you know, perfect for him. Although even then, he popped there too. Or uh, someplace where they just don't care. Like, he'd be perfect for Pride, where they just, like, they did not care what you used ever. That's He's sort of the product of an older era of combat sports. Maybe he'd go to one or something. I don't The answer is you might see him. You would definitely see him somewhere else in exactly what capacity, though, because there's a wide variety of opportunity, some being great, some not being great. Uh, where he would go, I don't know. But do I see UFC picking him up? No, no, I don't. I, they, they, do they need people who, if we sign you to a fight, you can make it there either by virtue of you don't have too many injuries, you train smart, you're not going to get popped for something. And remember, they have USADA. Like, no way, no chance. All right, thanks to everyone who contributed to the mailbag. You can always do that. You don't have to wait. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.